happy Easter. I know we got several guests in the room this morning, and we just want to say welcome. And Callie mentioned it during communion. More than anything, for our new guests, we just want you to get comfortable. Uh, we just don't want you to feel obligated to do anything other than just get comfortable and understanding and getting to see kind of the great things that, that God's doing in our little church family. And, and we're so excited about the future. And this morning in particular, we're going to dive into uh, the scriptures and we're going to be, uh, we're actually starting a new series on Easter Sunday this morning. And the title of that series is titled Expansion. Um, reaching out, the subtitle of this series is Reaching Out to People Who Are Different Than You. Reaching Out to People Who Are Different Than You. So today we celebrate Easter. And here's, here's what I know about Easter, the resurrection of Jesus. You probably came to church today understanding and thinking and understanding. Like the assumption will be the fact that in the Christian faith, the centerpiece of the Christian faith is this thing called the resurrection of Jesus, right? The fact that Jesus was sent to this earth to die a perfect death as a perfect sacrifice, but it didn't end there because we see on Sunday morning following that Friday crucifixion that, that, that Jesus rose again. And although it's the centerpiece of our faith, I also understand I'm a very logical guy. I'm very much like if I didn't believe in the centerpiece of our faith, like if I didn't legitimately believe in it, then I, I wouldn't be standing here today. I'm just a really like, I connect with God on a really logical level. So I just want to do this morning, before we even start, because we're just going to be talking about uh, the resurrection a little bit this morning, but we're just going to be, it, it's also the assumption, right? I never want to like walk away without resourcing our people. So um, just so you know, we actually have a couple resources available in our library, which is the room immediately after you leave, um, talking about the legitimacy of the resurrection of Jesus. Was this actually a historical event that happened? And there's a small little book um, that you can actually grab for free. We're giving these away for free in our library called The Case for Easter. Lee Strobel was a journalist who was an atheist who discovered and just sought out, just was like, I want to investigate this whole thing called Christianity. And he really focused in on the resurrection. So he wrote this little book. It's like a 60-page book, really easy read if you want to take like a shallow dive on this and just start to understand more. This is available for you as a resource because I know some people get so caught up on like, what is this? Is this just whole, just like this, this fake event that happened? Like, what's the legitimacy of this? So I, I definitely want to resource us. For those of you who want to take a deep deeper dive, because um, there's guys who are a lot smarter than we are who have invested their whole life into understanding the resurrection of Jesus. I have a book called The Resurrection of the Son of God by N.T. Wright, and this is about, you know, you look at it, you're like, whoa, textbook, but here's the deal. These are, these are life's deepest questions, so if you're a person who's questioned this, here's what I challenge you to do, investigate it. Find out for yourself. Read this book. Dive into a resource and understanding that this was a historical event that actually happened. And in fact, this morning, I just want to give uh, both of these away. Does it, so would anybody be interested, hand in the air, interested in this one right here? Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Here we go. We're getting a uh, hand up over here. I saw this one first. Right here. Right. Yep. Yep. And then uh, next one, last one. Anybody interested in the big read? The big read. Right here. Right here. Right here. I'm going to go back here. Sorry. Okay. We have, I know, I know. I saw, I'm sorry. But here's the deal. Uh, if you are interested in either of those books, we have several copies in the resource center. Of each, and if, if there's no longer any more, we're going to take names and we're going to make sure we get those resources in your hand. Because, once again, I never want the hiccup to be understanding that what Jesus came to do was legitimate, you guys. It, it was a legitimate event in, her, in human history. Last Easter, I loved it. We talked about the legitimacy of the Bible. And people get a lot of different degrees and a college level in philosophy. And actually, the manuscripts of the Bible are more legitimate in terms of the reliability than a lot of different things in our common education today. So investigate your faith for yourself and see that God is good and the resurrection is an event that actually happened. So we have those resources available, but this morning, here's what, here's what I want to focus on. What happens next, right? What happens after this Easter event? Because we celebrate this Easter event, but 
Here's what I understand. If you have common sense, you, you still understand the world is not the way that it should be, right? It's like, man, this, this big thing we celebrate called Easter, right? Like this resurrection that like, that is this big event. And if you're like me, you, you look around and you're like, well, well, I get that we're celebrating this big event, but evil still runs rampant in the world that we live in. Things aren't as it should be. We can sense that. We understand. We read the headlines. We see the division that exists, even in our own country, right? And we understand. It's like, well, I thought Easter represented victory. You know, I thought Easter represented this or that. But we live in a world still, right? It's a massive event. But why is there still so much unrest, so much pain that exists in the world? And and here's the main truth that I want us to grasp this morning is Easter is the centerpiece of the Christian faith. But it's not the ending of the story. The, the events that we read in the scripture, it's not like the Bible ends, right? It's like, okay, there we go, resurrection, boom, good luck, have fun, good news, right? The, the Bible actually continues. The narrative continues, and we see a lot of different activity of, of, of where, in terms of our purpose, we fit into this story. We fit into this thing called life and this Easter narrative that we celebrate each and every year. And here's what I know. God's plan wasn't just to, like, shut the book down after the resurrection, right? But it was so that his power, that same power of him defeating death in the grave begins to be multiplied. The goodness of God, this good news that he wanted to spread, he wanted to not just be this isolated event for several people in human history, but he wanted to expand this idea. We're starting a new series called Expansion this morning. And here's what I truly believe is that God wants to expand his goodness. And he actually chooses and allows us to be partakers and, and co-laborers and people get, that get to participate in that. And what is good? You know what I mean? It's like, well, what do you mean by this good news? What do you mean by this message? When I think about good, I think about something that's actually, like, good. You know what I mean? Like, we talked about during the, the meet and greet today, like, what kind of candy do you want in your Easter basket? Like, you know what the good candy is. For me, that's a Reese's peanut butter egg. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, not the small one. You know what I mean? Like, the, the full size, you know what I mean? The one that has the perfect ratio between chocolate and peanut butter where you bite into it and you're like, that's better than a normal Reese's. Come on, somebody. I wait. I wait ter- for Easter. And, and when those things hit the clearance, like, I buy, like, 50 of them, right? Because I'm like, I know I'm not going to be able to get this for, like, nine months or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, what does good seem like for you when you know it hits your lips or it hits your tongue? You're like, that's good. That's the same goodness that God wants to spread. You know good when you sense it. Come on, when, when, when the church begins to judge the world and people feel like they don't fit in, that's not the good news of God. Come on, somebody. You know goodness when you touch it, when you taste it, when you feel it, when you sense it. And that is the type of goodness that God wanted to spread after Easter happened as an event in human history. That same good news that begins to speak to the depths of our souls becomes actual and practical good news for us. So what will we do next? And this morning, we're going to look at what did the early church do next after this event called Easter. And what they did is they began to expand. They began to reach out. They began to take risks. Things began to multiply like never before. Where in today's population, we have over 2 billion people that consider themselves to be Christians. We're talking about a handful of people that witnessed an event. And although that event and that story and that message of goodness was persecuted throughout human history, it has multiplied into the 2 billion people that identify as Christians today. So what's the deal? And what happened? And what is our response after Easter. We're going to look at the scriptures this morning and turn to Acts chapter 6, which is really the story of the early church. And we're picking at a, up at a time where 
things were growing. Things were multiplying. This goodness that people were sensing of God and experiencing, people were receiving it and seeing the power of God begin to show up in their lives. I love that song we sang this morning, You're the God of Miracles. People were experiencing a, the God of Miracles intercepting with the everyday physical realities of our life. And it was changing lives. So this morning we're going to look at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And it says this. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing... Disciples also known as followers of Jesus, right? It says the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. And we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon. Come on, Lion King fans. Where you at? Where you at this morning? That's a biblical name. You know what I'm saying? Um, Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Can we pray this morning? Lord, thank you so much that you are the God of miracles, and you're real. I just pray this morning that you would be so real in people's lives, Lord, where, where maybe your voice or maybe the reality of you has become kind of distant or dead. Lord, I pray that you as the God of miracles, you as the resurrected God, Lord God, would bring new things to life in our hearts, Lord God where maybe things have, have gotten callous, Lord, that you would just bring a new sense of revival. You would revive those things, our dreams, maybe the desires, that, the things that we've just given up on in life. Lord, thank you that you give new life this morning. Lord, you are our king, and, and Lord, we just want to hear from you this morning, understanding that you are alive in this place, and that you are not dead. So we love you and we praise you in this place, in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen, amen. As, as a part of this series, as kind of the first part of this series that we're starting called Expansion this morning, um, I titled the message this morning, kind of part one, um, this, if you're taking notes, complain or contribute. Complain or contribute. Can you, can you imagine for, with me for a second on Easter, you know, Easter is this holiday that, you know, culturally for many of us, uh, we're with our families, right? Family comes into town or we travel out of town. But can you imagine with me for a second that, you know, you're hosting Easter for your immediately, immediate family one year, and you get a phone call kind of the day before, Let's, like last night, right? And you get a phone call from some of your extended family to let you know, hey, surprise, we're coming into town. You as the host of this event, right, this is where the stress begins to kind of, you know, it's like trickling on. Like really the in-laws called me the night before, you know what I mean? Um, and, and you start realizing to yourself, like, things are going to need to change, we are going to have to expand the way that we had things planned to invite other people in. You know what I'm saying? And here's the deal. It's, it's, it's not a bad thing necessarily. It's like, you know what I mean? Sometimes, you know, your extended family, they might get on your nerves or whatever. But you want to actually be a good host because you care about them. This is a problem, and it's not necessarily a bad problem. This is a decent problem to have because it's like, hey, we can all be together on this holiday. And it's interesting because it's not a bad thing. It's just a reality that... We didn't plan for this, and now things need to adjust. The organization needs to adjust. The same exact thing was happening for the early church during this time. They had a family. 
In fact, the Bible says that they were sharing in their resources. Like everybody shared with one another so that no one was in need. And they, they advocated for that. They said, we need to be generous people because God is generous to us. But here's, here's what was happening. The church was multiplying. People were joining the church. People were seeing God do miraculous things. They had this tight-knit family and community together, and it was expanding. And here's what happens when things begin to expand. New problems begin to arise, right? What if suddenly your family gathering doubled the size expected? You know you got a job to do, but you also know that you care about your family. Same instance that was happening as we read in Acts chapter 6 with the early church. And you got to start, start kind of sorting out some things pretty quickly because you got a limited amount of time. you got to start contributing to the need at hand. So this morning we're going to look a little, close, close, a little closer this morning at, at the scriptures we kind of glanced over in Acts chapter 6 and really break down some, 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 some meat this morning out of what we see out of Acts chapter 6. So 6-1, let's look at this again. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing... The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. What we have here is a need, and we have somebody complaining about the need, right? And many of us in the room are like, I hate complainers. You know what I mean? It's like, really? Like, we're doing our best here, and, and what do we got here, right? People in the church, they're like, we're, they start complaining. I can only imagine the leadership of the church being like, really? Like, what? What are we going to do with it? We're doing our best, you know what I mean? I feel like we're just trying to do the best that we can. And then you got these people beginning to complain. But here's the deal. The complaining that they brought to the table was legitimate. Because you had people that were going hungry. People that were typically kind of oppressed and on the outside of community. These widows that um, this need actually mattered. It needed to be fulfilled. You couldn't ignore this, right? You can't just ignore your family. Like they call to say, we're coming for Easter. Just hang up the phone. Like I didn't hear that. You know, like you're on your own. Like, nobody does that, right? You're going to accommodate. You're going to try to figure out a solution to what's happening. So there was this need, but the byproduct of this need and kind of the outcome of this was a little bit of division, right? We have two different groups of people in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. We have these people called the Hellenistic Jews, and then we have the Hebraic Jews. Two different types of Jewish people that were known to be in the early pages of the Bible as the people of God, the Jewish race, right? These people that God had chosen to give them a, the promise is that he, he planned for them. But we now know that what Jesus did on the cross and as he died, he broke down every barrier that exists. God was a barrier breaker. What he did at the cross and when he resurrected, he broke down every barrier that existed between him and his people, his creation. He's not just the God of the Jews and the God of Israel, but he's also the God of all people. And it's interesting because we have all these groups of people that existed during this time that were Jewish people. The Hebraic people that lived in the holy city, Jerusalem. These were people that, that lived there, that were culturally a part of Jerusalem. But then we have all of this oppression that existed throughout the Bible that we see where Jewish people got spread out. So we have this group of Jews called the Hellenistic Jews that were a little multicultural. They were actually immigrants who lived in different cultures and now had come back to Jerusalem. And because they embraced all these different cultures than what the Hebraic Jews were used to, there was a new subset of problems because not everybody thought the same way. So you got these people coming and complaining. They're like, because of the violence, because of us leaving Jerusalem, we had a lot of women, widows, without husband, without a family, and now these are the very people as they've come back to the holy city who are being neglected. Like, problem, I know we're trying to be one family together, but people are going without food, and these people matter to God. And it's just a byproduct of when you get together with anybody, right? 
and you realize not everybody thinks the same, right? It's like around the Easter dinner table. We know what we're not supposed to talk about, right? Politics, religion, money. We know that. Why do we create that little subculture rule? Because we know people think about things differently. Same thing was happening here. A bicultural problem. Division. Division is what was happening here. But let's see how this community responds to division. Do they say, well, that's just how it is. We're just going to live that way and continue to feed into the divisiveness. Or is there a response that we're going to look at and we're going to see this morning? Acts chapter 6, verse 2. Let's keep going. So it says, this, so the 12, the 12 apostles, those who are literally the people that walked with Jesus and learned from him, gathered all the disciples together and said, hey, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Like, that's kind of harsh. Wait a second. These dudes were saying, hey, you know what? It wouldn't be right for us to actually help these widows because we got a job to do. In fact, Jesus told us to do a job. He told us to spread this message, this good news to the world, and it wouldn't be right for us to neglect that. It wouldn't be right for us to try to feed that need. Here's what I know. When you begin to prioritize things, when you have a problem, you begin to prioritize things, you realize it creates clarity of what type of action are you trying to accomplish, right? Okay, let's think about this. What's most important? Let's prioritize what needs to get done here. And it actually creates a lot of clarity. This is what was happening for these early church leaders. They said, what's really important is sharing the hope of this Easter message. This resurrection that we all witnessed. We saw Jesus walking around after he was supposed to be dead. We met with him. We ate with him. We talked with him. And he was in a completely different body. One that wasn't, that didn't represent what it looked like when he was t- breathing his last breath on the cross, but one that had scars, did have attributes that he was a murdered man, but he was in a new resurrected state. We got to share the power that God has made available to human beings. But here's what I know, and I love about this scripture right here. The, the, the leaders in the church, they were not driven by complaints. You know people who are driven by complaints are called? People pleasers. And you know what you do, you end up doing when you spend your time when you're a people pleaser? You begin to buy into the lie that people don't have an unlimited supply of needs. Here's what I know about human needs. We always will have needs. Need, need, need. Humans are the neediest people ever. If you try to please and be a people pleaser, you will waste all of your time trying to fulfill the gaping vacuum that exists within our soul that is called being human. And I love it. The the apostles, the leaders of the church were like, we're not going to be people pleasers. We're actually going to point people to the one who fulfills the greatest need deep down in our soul. The God-shaped hole that's missing, that when we understand, when people hear and understand and come into a relationship with a God who loves them, a God who died for them, that he is going to fulfill and mend the deepest areas of our human need. But at the same time, come on, we can't be people that just say, hey, we want to push you towards God and then allow the widows to be starved and hungry. But there was some organization that needed to happen. And here's what I love. If you're new this morning, like, our goal at this church is that we would adopt anyone and everyone into the genuine and active love of Jesus. Meaning that we don't point people to other people. We're always trying to point people to the solution. The one who conquered death. I don't know about you, but I don't know how to deal with the issue of death. When I lay my head down on my pillow at night, I don't know, I'm, I can't come up with a solution of knowing like, hey, tomorrow will I wake up or not? Like, is it up to me? We all know that each and every one of us will die. But I love it because Jesus came, he, he decided to conquer that. He decided to overcome death. That's how Jesus is different from all different gods that exist in our day and our age, right? 
that Jesus is the one who actually conquered death. There's not a memorial. There's not something that we visit and just think of, oh, Jesus, we miss you. We understand that actually he conquered death and he's alive. And that's good news for people in this room that you don't know how to deal with the issue of death. Because Jesus has already dealt with that. Some of you live in a lot of fear because you don't have answers, the biggest answers to life in the cosmos. Don't feel that pressure in life and realize that Jesus is the answer. And he extends the free gift of himself to receive it. It's a free gift. You don't have to dress a certain way. You don't have to do yourself up. You don't have to make yourself a certain way to receive God's love. But he gives it as a free gift for us. Will we accept that, right? Will we accept that free gift that Jesus gives us? But I love it. The apostles, they had their priorities straight. And if you're preparing for an unexpected large family gathering the day before Easter, right, um, the question you're probably going to ask is, do we have enough, right? The main things become the plan things. Like, hey, we just got to make sure we start prioritizing, like, what needs to get done. Like, we're not going to worry so much about the details maybe we were stressing out before. We just got to make sure the main things are the plain things, right? Do we have enough food? Do we have enough Easter eggs for all the other kids that are coming? Do we have this? Do we have that? You start organizing and prioritizing because you know you need to get certain things done before others to prioritize to actually be a good host. Here's what I know. A church can so easily become a nonprofit organization. That when you begin to prioritize just, prioritize just doing good, what, 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 what does that do that's different than other people that are trying to accomplish good? Here's what I believe as a person who believes in the fact that Jesus conquered death and he's the solution to that issue. Is that rather than just doing good, more than anything, I want to point people to the solution. With, with the energy, with the strength, with, with everything that God's given me to live and, and have the ability to enjoy this life, I want to dedicate my time to pushing people towards the answer. Not fooling people into realizing, well, that's good, but good luck with death, Right? But I actually want to push people in the direction that says, Let's, this goodness points to a God who knows us, sees us, has created us, has given this lifetime purpose. And I love it because that's what the early church began to prioritize. But they want to actually make a difference too. So Acts chapter 6, verse 3. They say, brothers and sisters, although we're not going to be the ones that are waiting on tables, we actually have a heart to fulfill needs in our community. Man. We mentioned earlier, I want, I want this church to be a church, once again, that's no more for its, what it's for than what it's against. We are for this city. We understand that. Hey, if we're going to talk about Jesus being good, we better be people that actually do fulfill needs. And we better try with everything we have to fulfill as many needs as possible so people can experience and taste heaven in their realities today. And sometimes that reality feels a lot like hell. So can we invite or can we... Allow people to experience the taste of heaven today. So this is what the early church does. They say, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Who's going to own up to this? Reality check, it, it, it just can't be us is what they're realizing. We got to do this thing called delegate. You know what's interesting? Even in Jesus' ministry, you're like, well, he's God. But he, he chose to be fully God, fully man. Live under the capacity of man. Jesus modeled this. There's a time in, where the, the, the disciples, it's like there was just needs all over the place. The, the unlimited vacuum of human needs. You know what Jesus did? He wasn't just like, bam. You know, like, we're going to fulfill every human need. Like, it was like, no, like, I'm going to invite my followers to do it as well. I'm going to realize that me and my human capacity, I can't do it myself. So he invites his followers and sends them out. 
to be vessels to spread God's practical goodness. We see in, the, in, in, in Jesus' ministry, he sends them out in, in the same way that Jesus was healing people, miracles were going down. We see his very followers doing the same very thing. They, they, they get to partake in this power that God had distributed in and through them. So for the early church during this time, they're like, we got to delegate. And here's what I know. God's vision is so much beyond just this one family that they're thinking about. God is wanting to expand. God is wanting to invite others in who have been ostracized in the past. God is wanting to use this core group of people to bless the community and bless the world. You might be in a situation where maybe you are having to host a larger gathering than, than you thought possible. And you realize as maybe the host of the household or hosts, all hands on deck, right? It's like, how do we, how do we actually accomplish what needs to get done? All hands on deck. Everybody needs to help out. You know what I mean? Hey, the in-laws are coming tomorrow. Hey, the extended family's coming tomorrow. We need everybody to contribute, right? Not one person is going to be able to successfully host this new thing that kind of got plopped on their lap. The same thing for the early church, right? They're like, all hands on deck. We need everybody to contribute to actually make this thing work. We need to organize ourselves in a way that makes sense so we can keep on doing what we were doing but also meet all these unique needs that were happening in our community because when broken people get together, messes start, messes happen, right? It can't just be us. And the, the, the church realized this must be a family effort. Let's move on to the next couple of scriptures. So it says this. This proposal pleased the whole group, which is great. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, and Pumbaa. No, I'm going to let that go again. Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. I love it. They say, who do we got who's passionate and can relate? What's unique about these names up here that you wouldn't just know by just reading it and understanding, these are all Greek names. Meaning they weren't Jewish. We have, during this time, two major categories of race. The Jews, God's people, and everyone else. The Gentiles during this culture. The Greeks, right? That were living in this world in this time. So I love it. They say, hey, you guys. Hey, the ones who have brought the complaint forward. Hey, the ones that have a pure heart are seeing this need that needs to be addressed. Would you be the ones that actually go and are sent out to address that need? Because God, in God's heart, in his mind, he's like, these people are going to be the heroes that go and end up reaching people that always felt ostracized. These people are going to be the solution to the needs that are seen in our culture in our day. This isn't just about God's people, but this is a vision and an expansion that goes beyond that each and every person needs to experience the goodness of God. The Reese's full-size goodness of God. Come on, somebody. And it's amazing because they realize that they were different people. And now they're actually being selected and sent out to be different. But isn't that kind of our calling as a church as well? That we're best represented and we best look like heaven when we have a diverse group of people. A diverse group of family and culture represented in our room. Multi-generational. I love what the early church was advocating for. Because that's what's being advocated in our churches today. That, that, that we don't need to do ourselves up. That we don't need to wear specific clothing. Man. One of our big things at PCC here is like, we just believe you belong. 
we, we want you to understand that you belong. Maybe you've been a person that's felt ostracized for church in a long time. We just want you to get comfortable. We want you to understand that it's not about what you dress, not about what you do, not about your past, but you truly have a part to play. God has given you a purpose in this lifetime, and we want to be a church that invests in that and allows us to understand that we get to be a part of the solution of the goodness of God spreading and transforming not only our city and our community, but our world. That's what God wants to invest in heart. That's the purpose of his church. Not to be a country club and exclude others and make others feel uncomfortable. You might be a person that's had that church experience. This is not going to be that church because we welcome everybody and we believe in everybody and we're going to invest in anyone and everyone. Come on, somebody. Because we are trying so hard to reflect the church that Jesus desired. The one that had Easter all over it. And it wasn't isolated to one event, but it was isolated to go forth and be burst forth into the world that we live in. Come on, somebody. These people saw a need, and rather than sitting and complaining and staying in the complaint, they decided to transition and contribute. They decided to say, hey, I can be a person that fulfills that need. I'm going to do that. And here's what I love. Some of these names, if you've read into the biblical narrative, you know they're familiar. Philip being one of them. Stephen. As we continue on in this series, you're going to realize that Philip, Stephen, these are guys that all of a sudden it becomes all about them. What God does through them. These guys end up becoming the heroes. It's for a simple change and a shift in their mentality of saying, I can see a need and I complain about it, but then they decided to be difference makers and contribute. And it was such a small need, and then we begin to understand and we see that Philip, Stephen, they become heroes because of the small contribution began to change and transform in a way that they contributed to so much in the early church of what we have today. Those guys who were forgotten people that weren't a part of the biblical narrative then shifted and became the heroes simply because they decided to not just complain, but they decided to contribute. The hero up to this point, you might be like, that's Peter. Peter's this popular guy in the Bible. The first pope, right? But we have these new heroes. The narrative shifts as the Bible continues. Stephen, Philip, there was these 12 Hebrew men, and now God's beginning to shift and allow, and he sends off seven Hellenists. Different, bicultural, different background, different than the people that God had chosen before because he's understanding this message of goodness needs to spread. People need to come into terms with the reality of God himself. This wasn't the Peter show. This wasn't the Pope show. Come on. This isn't the pastor show. This is the Jesus show. And what Jesus wants to do is he wants to expand his goodness and what he's done for us so that each and every human on this earth can experience, taste, and have that for themselves. This is all about Jesus. It's not about a person. And this is a community of diversity that God sees and desires. Complainers do not change the world. Contributors do. The world will not get changed in the way that we see it today and understand there's unrest. There's things that we know aren't right, but it will not be changed by complainers. It will be changed by those who take a step forward and say, I'm going to contribute to the need. Amen? And lastly, in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, as it concludes, it says, so the word of God spread. What do you know? It worked. Come on. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. All these guys who had their religious duties and activities beginning to, began to taste and experience what God was doing. People that were so used to a specific way of life that there was a lot of religious duty and obligation made a transition and began to taste God and see what he was doing in this season. 
as he began to relate to not only this nation and this one race, began to relate and understand that he is a God for everyone. Understanding at this point in human history that God planned and prepared and chose a specific group of people to then be the seed to bless the entire earth. And you and I, we get to play a part in that story. Expansion creates conflict, but it requires contribution. Or conflict will just continue. Expansion, conflict is, is just a byproduct of expansion. But, but it requires contribution if we actually truly do want to see change in our world. So this morning as we conclude, what will we do next this Easter? What are we going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to complain or are you going to contribute? Because here's what I know. Complaining is easy. Here's what I know. When I get on Facebook, what used to be like funny cat videos and like funny stuff, right, that I'm like, hey, that made my day, I see a lot of division. I see a lot of complaining. I see a lot of things that I'm like, I don't even know if I want this in my life because like it, it just causes my life to breed division for myself. But that's what the easy thing to do is, is complain. Talk about how things aren't what they ought to be. Talk about other people, people that have different beliefs. Think differently than you and I do. Think differently than maybe a personal thing in our life represented. And it's so easy to play into the complaint. But are we going to be people that actually take the Easter message, not privatize it within four walls, but actually bring it to the world and make a difference and a change? Because that's what God's calling us into. He's calling us into a story, not an event. He's calling us into a journey and an adventure that says, take this goodness, take the solution to death, and sh share it with everybody that you possibly can. And in the meantime, know that I'm going to heal you, I'm going to guide you, I'm going to give you a new hope, I'm going to give you a new future. But how will the resurrection of Jesus actually get our feet moving today? Here's what I believe. Here's what I believe about our church. We have done a great job if we produce people that make a full cycle transfer. What do I mean by that? Is that we become people that not only hear the Bible, mind, it gets into our mind, but it makes a transition then from our mind into our heart. It doesn't just stay and make us feel warm and fuzzy in our heart. It transitions into our feet, and it actually gets our feet moving. And then we are actual people that take our feet and not only just do the work of God, but we bring as many people along with us. That, to me, is a healthy Christian. Because here's what can happen so many times. We get stuck at one of those levels. We get stuck at the mind. Once again, there may be some things that you're like, I just can't get over this idea of the resurrection and I can't get through it from a mental standpoint and understanding it because you're logical like me. And here's the deal. I'm not just banking my faith on faith. There's actual reasons and wisdom that God has given us to understand why his resurrection event is legitimate in human history. That might be you this morning. You're stuck at your mind. Jesus is still on the cross. You've kind of crucified him and it's created some complaints in your life. But I would say contribute. Read a book. Do some, if this is a big question of your life of whether this event happened or not, it's worth actually investigating. So read a book. Because once again, there's resources and things that you can read to understand that God and what he has done is legitimate. You might be stuck there with the mind. You might be a person that's stuck at the heart. You might be stuck at the resurrection. You might be saying, well, we're celebrating Easter, Pastor. We're, that's, that's what we're supposed to be doing. But so easily we can just get stuck in allowing the resurrection to be a private experience where we say and we understand how big God is. But nobody ever gets to experience that outside of us. We can hide within the four walls of the church. 
The church can become a bomb shelter where we just complain about the bombs going off, but we understand that God has called us to be bomb diffusers. But we can get stuck there. We can complain about getting stuck there and say, well, I understand how good God is, and I, I love that God resurrected, but the Bible continues. The narrative doesn't just end there. It's the centerpiece, but the Bible goes on. We can be people that then don't make the transition into our purpose and our calling. You can be a person that you, you start serving God. You actually start moving out of the private living, and you, and you get stuck you start kind of complaining because you're just doing all these things, doing, doing, doing. And so easily as you can get caught up in a religious trap where it's all about what you do, 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 do. And you forget about the fact that actually Jesus has already done it all. And you become a really religious person and, and your faith turns into this, I just do, 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 do. But God has called us beyond that where, once again, mind, heart, repeat. Yeah, you're doing stuff with your feet, but he's called us to repeat it. He's called us to invest in other people. He's called us to have mentors in our life, but we're called to be people that train up others as well, as parents, as friends, as maybe some of you that are, are in your older years who are really called to a generation that needs mentors, but you'd rather just sit in the wings and complain about the generation rather than invest. But God has called us to invest. And as long as we continue to complain and never make the transfer into contribution, things will stay the same. And this world will not look like the heavenly realm that God desires and he's leading us towards. Easter can so easily be such an isolated event. But if you're complaining about Easter and the way things are in the world and you're not actually contributing, what difference does that make? You and I have a purpose. You and I are called to the highest calling, the mission of God. But there's purpose in your vocation. Think about everything you do during your week, that God, in a life connected with God, he brings purpose to those very things, a purpose and a hope. He wants to bless and give you strength. The goodness of God needs to expand. And here's where it needs to expand, as we saw this in the early church, even to people who think, act, live differently than you and I. That's who he's calling us to. Well, we just dismiss those people as enemies. Well, sorry to tell you this, but in Jesus' ministry, he said this kind of phrase that is really difficult to follow, but he told us to love those very people. Some of us are still caught up a couple feet in or one foot in the religious category of the Old Testament. And we like to play, and, but, but here's what Jesus did when he died and, and resurrected. He gave us a, 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 new, a new covenant, a new way to live. One that supersedes, as Hebrews says, a better covenant. One that we don't fight back our enemies, but we win them with love. We kill them with kindness. Come on, somebody. God gave us a new way of life. But sometimes we are, we're, we're caught between. We're still in that, we're, we're bound with religiosity. But God is calling us to fully embrace what he's done in the new covenant. And stop complaining about the needs and our comforts and our wants. But see that there's needs that exist throughout the world. And God is calling us to those very people. The ones that maybe some people have deemed as enemies. But we're saying you're worth it. Because God created you and gave you a purpose. And Easter is not just privatized to one day, one event. But it's something that God desired for each and every person to experience. Because he's powerful and he is a good God. And his goodness needs to expand throughout this earth. Easter is the centerpiece, but it's not the ending. So what will you do next? 
what will you do next?